0: Today's episode is brought to you by Ouchie. Ouchie is a free app for iOS and Android that provides solutions for chronic pain management. Today's guest is someone who was always the sick girl growing up and wasn't diagnosed with Crohn's disease until she was an adult. I'm excited to talk with Jamie Walden about her experience with her condition and especially how she manages her health with her full-time job. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you for having me. So glad to have you here. So tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and what you do.
1: I am the executive vice president for the John Lennon Educational Tour Bus. It's a nonprofit mobile recording studio, and we teach young people how to write original songs and make original music video projects in a day. And I grew up in Deerfield Beach, and I moved to New York when I was 19 years old. For school? For school slash working in live music production. I wanted to be a rock journalist. I wanted to be a professional dancer. You know, I wanted to do everything that New York is supposed to be.
0: Love that. And clearly, Deerfield Beach was not the place for that.
1: Not at this time, but you know, maybe next year.
0: So let's dig right into things. You started to get sick at around age 13. What symptoms were you experiencing? So I was kind of known as the sick girl in Florida. Like
1: I would be in class and then I would be like home for four or five days. And it's funny because I think about it now knowing where I'm at with what it means to be sick, but it was very different. It would be like I always got bronchitis or I would get pneumonia or I would just be completely out for the count and I would be throwing up. And um, I wouldn't say I had the same types of symptoms that I do now, but I would go into the doctor and the doctor would just be like, here's a Z-Pack." here's this, here's that. And it was just basically throw medication at it, throw medication at it and whatever. And the big thing that I always felt was like this huge, foggy, tired feeling. And I didn't really know what it was. So I would just kind of deal with it and accept it and ignore it. And then one of the things that really started to happen as I was getting a little bit older into high school, you know, I recognized that like, my dad would kind of make these like slip comments of like. Yeah, every time we go to the doctor, it's like a hundred bucks. We don't have health insurance. I don't even think he consciously realized that this was kind of the thing. And I started to realize, well, these doctors are not doing anything except for giving me azithromycin or whatever it is. So I just kind of said like, I'm really tough because I was a super tomboy and I'm going to like, I'm just going to deal with whatever it is and I'm going to ignore it. So I just kind of like would not go to school on the days that I don't feel good and just be sick.
0: Did you or your parents ever think that there was some sort of underlying issue? I don't know. I think that because
1: no one was ever like, hey, let's check what's going on under the hood, really. And because I had such bad allergies and I was getting bronchitis and I had asthma, but I was still getting straight A's and I was still going to dance class and I was still doing all of the stuff that it was kind of like, she's not complaining, so
0: she's okay. Did you talk about it with your friends?
1: Not really, because I think that I just took a lot of pride in not wanting to look too sick. But when I would feel better, I felt amazing. I felt super fine. So it was kind of like, okay, whatever. I just get sick a lot. I have Ashkenazi bloodline. I have bad allergies. This is what's happening here. So and it was like, oh, it's Florida. I'm in alternate hell for (laughs) something like this.
0: So you made a lot of assumptions but didn't necessarily think there was a bigger issue here? No,
1: not really. And then the big thing for me was when I moved to New York and you know you start doing a different routine or whatever, but I started getting older and then I started having some different symptoms. So one thing was like my period completely stopped for over a year. I was like eating anything like a horse and like, Nothing was happening. I was always so tired. And I was starting to get a lot of gastric upset. And I was like, all right, do I do I have like IBS? Because Google was now a doctor at this point. So that was really great because WebMD was like everything. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm learning. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I've got like pretty decent health insurance now. Hey, Copay, what's up? I'm going to go and use you. And I started going to like all of these specialists. And I get to this one guy who's like, hey, we have to treat this holistically. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. And he's like, let's go through this whole rigmarole. So we do these blood tests. And he's like, oh, you have celiac disease. And I'm like, I do? And I'm like, what is that, you know? And he's like, you can't eat gluten. And I'm like, what's gluten? (laughs) (laughs) And... So this was before it was cool to not do that, and he told me he's like, "You can't eat this." This and he starts listing off my entire diet, and I wanted to like implode, and I was just like, "No," because pretzels are my life, and so pretzels, <laughs> of all things, not pizza
0: or pasta.
1: No, it, sandwiches. It, no, no, I'm a pretzels child, um, and so I was like, "Oh my god, okay." But he posited to me like, "You know, would you rather?" Instead of going like, what are you missing? Wouldn't you rather be like, wow, it'll be amazing to feel really good? And he's like, oh, and by the way, you also can't eat dairy because you're lactose intolerant. Ah. So I'm like, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? I'm going to do this. So I go on this super insanely strict, two weeks, no gluten, no dairy, and I start feeling like a million bucks. It was day and night. So I was like, oh, my God, this is it. And I just started feeling really, really healthy. Any issues that I was having, completely gone. And, you know, then like when I would accidentally eat gluten or something, I actually would feel like pain or it would kind of get weird. And so I was just like ultra sensitive. And then I had to kind of adapt to learning to like be that person who's at the restaurant or God, my – at the time, my long-term ex-boyfriend, bless him and his like family and all this other kind of stuff. They were ultra like, okay, no, like we understand what's going on. And I always felt like I was inconvenience people, whatever. And then when I was about 28, we start to have another curveball, which this is so embarrassing. But I was living with my ex at the time and in the morning, wake up and he's not next to me in bed. <laughs> and I like look down from my loft and he was like on the couch And I'm like, you know, what's going on? And he's like, um, your farting has been keeping me awake. (laughs) And I'm like mortified by this, you know? And then also like he was someone who really wanted like, you know, to keep his girlfriend in like a feminine space and whatever. So (laughs) I was just like, I was mortified. And you had no idea. No. And he was like, I don't even know how that didn't wake you up. I'm like, oh my God. I was like an abrasive bash of gas or something, you know, to where I was just like, oh my God. So after this, I'm like, okay. So now I'm back to Google WebMD. And I'm like, this is what's happening now. And I'm staying gluten free dairy. And then I find out about the FODMAPs situation to adapt. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm Can now. Can you
0: explain what the FODMAPs are?
1: I forgot what the acronym is for, but it's basically like don't eat Brussels sprouts and cauliflower and beans in large amounts or you're going to create gas inside you that's going to make you toot. So I said, okay, no problem. So I'm cutting out all these foods, which I've like learned to adapt to and whatever. And
0: this is all your own research online?
1: Yeah, because at this point, I'm just informed that I'm celiac and that I'm lactose intolerant. And I knew the lactose intolerance thing and like whatever. Then doing okay for a little bit. And then like Harper, I'm like really not like apparently <laughs> this gas thing is becoming an issue. And I'm like, oh my God. So I don't know what to do at this point. And I go to a gastroenterologist and he like goes through everything and he's like, okay, we're going to put you on probiotics and then we're going to put you on a prebiotic and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it's like, okay, so I do this course for a little bit. And you know, it's one of those things where like you think it's working, it's not working. And all I was feeling was this is exactly what it was like when I was a kid. But I knew that this doctor was like, invested in me. And he like knew something was going on. But it was kind of like hard to really figure it out. But he kept saying he's like, I don't want to do a colonoscopy with you. Because I mean, I know it's a very common procedure and everything. He's like, but I don't want to open up that door if we can just like, figure out these minor tweaks.
0: What made you trust this doctor and or the doctor that diagnosed you with celiac disease and know that these were people that truly had your best interest? It came through like a
1: friend or a family friend kind of situation. And then also now that I had health insurance, it was like, oh, wow, I can like find a doctor through my insurance, get good reviews. So I was like in a really fortunate position. And it was just one of those things where I just got lucky. And then you build enough rapport of like visiting them and everything. And, you know. At the end of the day, too, when it comes to a doctor, one that has great bedside manner and you have, like, a little bit of fun with, you're kind of like, okay, you know me as a person. I'm not just, like, the thing that you're treating.
0: Yeah, I'm with you completely. So
1: it was really special to have that. And they also had, like, a team. So it was, like, a familial kind of an environment. I wasn't just going, like, right into this medical center where they have fancy this and that. It was, like, a little bit more old school. The doctors that I were going to and still go to, they come from a bottom-up approach, which is they don't want to just, like, throw medication at you and, like, treat the symptoms. But what they do is they want to, like, start with the least amount that you need. And then only if you hit a tipping point will they incorporate something bigger and heavier and stronger. So basically what ends up happening is me and this boyfriend, we were no longer together. And I had to go through very serious heartbreak. And then I was taking care of a family member down in Florida and it was really tragic. And I was just going through so much stress. And I started dropping weight like a crazy person. And uh, as you can see, I'm a tiny human, but I lost, I don't know, 10 pounds in like five or six weeks. So I was just like a rail. And I started then a couple months after getting like some life back together and coming back to New York for a minute I started waking up in the middle of the night with, like, vomit coming up my throat. And I was like, whoa, this has never happened before. What is going on? And I started getting not just the runs, but I started bleeding. And I was like, okay, this is not okay at all. So immediately beeline it to the doctor. And he's like, okay, we have to do an endoscope now and we have to do a colonoscopy which is a really fun procedure. I recommend it. You could find it on WebMD. So get my colonoscopy, and he comes in, and you get your results right away. And he goes, you have Crohn's disease. And he's like, I wasn't expecting that at all. He's like, and, you know, kind of like this part of your small intestines is not looking so good. And also I removed some polyps, and I did this, and I did that. And I'm like, wow, you went to town. The first thing I said to him was like, wait, does that mean I can eat a bagel? That was like the first thing I thought of. And it was this bittersweet thing where like, oh, my God, I understand the severity of Crohn's disease. It runs in my family. You know, my sister has ulcerative colitis, the whole thing. But I was also just like, oh, you know, I think most of the people that even come on your podcast understand there's just like, oh, my God, this all makes sense now. And I swear I went like immediately flashback mode to like the moment in bed, being alone and looking down at the boyfriend on the couch and being like, but i have crohn's and it would have all been okay <laughs> ah, this moment um so there was a little validation there and i went okay so he's like we're going to put you on this medication whatever within like 3 to 4 weeks i felt great i felt so different all of the symptoms had like completely gone away and yeah, that was just kind of it. Like a lot of the ups and downs that had been starting because I left out a lot of the emergency situations that you have when you have either an IBD or IBS or anything as it relates to that. But it just started to feel way, way better. And I was lucky with the medication. I wasn't having any negative reactions at all. So
0: So knowing that family members had Crohn's previously or have Crohn's, Did no doctor ever think to do that test 10 years prior?
1: I don't think it was on my parents' radar to, like, communicate that to the doctors. Because, like, you know, when you check off those boxes, like, what's wrong with you? First of all, I was with my childhood doctor until I moved here. So it was like pediatrics went way too far. And then on top of it, it was always like, what runs in your family? This kind of cancer or hypertension? Not that. So why would I need to keep filling out the same form and whatever? So that was it. And it was just all of my symptoms too. Back then, you know, you understand now if you have an autoimmune disease that a lot of the symptoms I were having, I was so susceptible to anything else, but I wasn't actually displaying the expression of the disease itself. So if I would have even had a colonoscopy then, it may have looked like I didn't have it, which is like the tough part when you never know like how or when it's going to pop up. But- the biggest thing that I learned along the way is that when you get a Crohn's flare, which is obviously what I was having, which it was basically like, boom, kickstart, you're about to get told you got Crohn's, um, I was like, oh, my God, stress is the number one surefire way. And then depending around the level of stress or the level of trauma can really ignite what's happening, which kind of dovetails into a whole nother series for where I'm at now. But uh, after a few months of being on the medication, I mean, I was feeling great. It was like absolutely nothing. And also, can I tell you how excited I was to eat whatever I wanted?
0: Like, so they had no concerns about you eating things? So everybody with Crohn's
1: has a totally different situation. It's not like a one-size-fits-all. So, like, for example, like my cousin, like he can't eat XYZ. Or certain people, if they drink alcohol, like oh my God, they're getting a Crohn's flare in two seconds. I have been blessed. I can drink with the best of them and I'm fine and I'm great. In fact, it makes me feel wonderful. (laughs) Um, But I found out for myself along the way, I just can't do high fat or high fiber. High fiber is like the death of me and I'm sure any other future boyfriend I will ever have. So I will avoid that. (laughs) But so I was just feeling great. I knew how to like kind of find a balance. And uh, with that, I started to go into what is remission and I was really excited because you don't want to be taking like four giant horse pills every single day and then also feel like, oh my God, what if I miss one or anything like that. At
0: what point from when you were diagnosed, were you going into remission?
1: I probably started getting the green light for going into remission in like the middle of 2017.
0: And you were diagnosed what year? 2016. Okay. So
1: it was just like, All of my symptoms were going and I was doing great. And so he was like, if you stay in remission for two years, we're going to cut your medication in half. And then basically it's like from there you can eventually wean off. And then, you know, if you ever need it again in the future, whatever. But I was super stoked. So basically I would have been – if I would have stayed clear into remission, like right now I'd be on half my medication. But I'm not. So I was doing great and everything like that. But then life happens. and so. At the end of last year, I ended up getting hit with a series of huge, big, horrific life bombs. I found out that my now ex-boyfriend had not only cheated on me, but he lied about cheating on me, and he only admitted it when I found out the day that I was pregnant, and it was like... The worst series of events that you could ever imagine for something like this. And it was really horrific and really traumatic. And, you know, after going through that, I surprisingly, like through part of the pregnancy and everything, I was fine. And all my doctors were like, oh my God, we have to be careful, Crohn's in pregnancy and whatever. But, you know, over the course of the beginning of this year, it was the whole like, Awakening moment, and we're gonna work this out. And I'm in love with you, and this is gonna be our future and the whole thing. And then in April of this year, boom, light switch. I can't do this. I need a break. I have to take care of myself, this whole thing. And it was like my world just completely imploded because uh, as my one of my best friends who's a therapist said, she's like, you now have to literally unpack all the pain of everything that you went through as opposed to focusing on forgiving this person and I got so sick like I don't think I've ever been that sick in my entire life because of the stress because of the inability to like piece together what had happened to me on top of like being gaslit and amongst a whole other flurry of frenzy and so my doctor was like, we have to get you in right now for a colonoscopy because this is really bad.
0: Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Ouchie. Ouchie is a free app for iOS and Android that provides solutions for chronic pain management. It was developed by people living with chronic pain and the people who care for them. Even though over 120 million Americans suffer from chronic pain, you would never know it. Like with invisible illnesses, people with chronic pain Don't always talk about their experiences because they don't want to be defined by their condition. Ouchie is the place where you don't have to be invisible or hurt alone. The app uses evidence-backed tools like cognitive behavioral therapy, pain tracking, community support, access to resources, and integration with clinicians to help people feel better faster. If you have chronic pain, celebrate the accomplishments in the everyday with Ouchie. Check out ouchie.com and download the ouchie app to see for yourself. And make sure you share with them that you found the app through Made Visible. And now back to the show.
1: So I go in and the thing that really, really is shitty is uh, I found out that my Crohn's, which was going into remission from the last colonoscopy and everything, the part of my small intestines, which was doing much better, It actually stayed pretty okay. However, my Crohn's completely spread throughout my entire colon and my large intestines. And it went from like mild moderate to like moderate. And it was also explaining why my symptoms were crazy different. And these symptoms were like awful and super embarrassing (laughs) because the sense of urgency you have when you've got to go, you're just like, holy shit, whatever. And what you also deal with with Crohn's disease that Is often not talked about is the fact of the level of depression that can coincide. Because first of all, it's usually this stressful event that can be a trigger. But so now you're also depressed emotionally for something else, even if you didn't have Crohn's. Oh, but then what happens with Crohn's? You are completely isolated. It's not like having another disease where, you know, your friends can come over and like hang out with you or you can do this or do that. Like you're trapped in a bathroom by yourself for Hours like your legs go numb from just sitting on the toilet because the second you even go to stand up, you have to sit right back down and you're completely limited. And so all you can do is run this mania loop in your head and you try not to feel bad about what's going on or feel bad for yourself, but you realize your limitations and all of the things that you would normally do to take care of yourself, like therapy, exercise, doing the things that you love, remaining social, doing whatever it is. Like you're just defeated. You're so, so defeated. And then on top of that vicious loop, at least in this instance, the one thing that I was really dealing with was like, oh my God, this person who said no matter what, he would still be there for me, even outside of the relationship or whatever, not only like never came to see me or take care of me like he promised he would, he didn't even call me to see how I was doing. So it's like you're trapped. You're just feeling like nothing really matters. And then I remember one time I got up off the couch and I looked at myself in the full-length mirror and I just started sobbing because I looked like a skeletor. I just looked insane. I mean, I think I dropped to like 88 pounds in the course of three weeks because nothing. I couldn't absorb a single nutrient, anything. And then I just felt like I'm dead on the outside and I'm dead on the inside. And my depression was so debilitating. I mean, I was never suicidal or anything like that, but I would have really welcomed being hit by a bus should it so happen. You know, I did not want to be around because I was in so much mental anguish, but also my physical pain was insane. And that is part of like, what's always going on with Crohn's when you're especially in a flare is like, you really learn to just be like, I have a chainsaw ripping through my guts right now. And no one would know the wiser because that's what you know, that's what invisible illness is. It's like you're just not seeing it at all. And people will be like, oh,
0: yeah, you know, you look really fit or whatever. And it's like, yeah, sure. You have no idea what I've been through this whole time. Yeah. Wow. What a wild story. And so you mentioned being pregnant. What happened with that? So the pregnancy was,
1: well, there was a lot of trauma surrounding it. You know, originally, it was definitely a discussion of like, oh, we're not ready for this in any way, shape or form. But then. This was actually my second time ever being pregnant, the first time I had a miscarriage. But, you know, the second time, you know, at my age now and everything, it was kind of like, oh, wait, but also the situation is a bit different and I just wanted to, like, take the time with it. Um, And then there were a few scares along the way of it being, like, potentially ectopic and then this and then that. But I ended up miscarrying the day of the planned abortion. So it ended up being this whole other trauma that was surrounding it, but... It was one of those things, too, where you're like, you know, you don't know how to reconcile all of the things that are happening. But I can tell you that the one thing that was just like a repetitive nature was the feeling of being so incredibly alone. And so then, you know, you start to like slowly pick yourself up and you like, you know, you start to be a little less in pain. And so like you take whatever you can get, like, oh, my God, I can get into one dance class this month. I'll take it. Like, I'll take this one dance class. And then you have to battle yourself, of like, this is out of my normal routine. I only went to one dance class this month, and you feel self defeatist. But then you also have to be like your own champion of like, I went to a dance class this month. This is amazing. So, yeah. And then what happens is like, you just, I don't know, you just have to keep evolving, is really where it's at. And then I know stress is like only how you choose to react to something, but. When you're also compounded with super physical, excruciating pain and limitations, you kind of can't think with like the best of intentions sometimes.
0: It's fascinating to hear this and to know that it's just a few months ago that this all went down. So, what are you dealing with currently? Like, what are your average symptoms over the last few months? Is there such thing as average or normal symptoms for you at this point?
1: So, I was getting better, and then, uh, Unfortunately, a few weeks ago, there was a kind of relapse of symptoms, so to speak. So you kind of deal with touch and go symptoms. And that is also the difficulty with Crohn's is like you can come across as a total flake in the sense that I could be feeling great today but tomorrow I could have either eaten the wrong thing or I just don't feel so great and it's completely like debilitating because it's not just like I have a small headache or I have a cold or whatever it is. It's like I have to be within a stone's throw of a bathroom at all times and then I have to also disappear for like 45 minutes maybe. So, you know, for example, it's like before this interview, I'm hungry but I didn't eat because like I don't know if I'm going to have to run. So you deal with all that stuff while you're in the middle of a flare but – I also know that like when the stress starts to subside, it really does go hand in hand, but it depends on the situation. Like I've had certain flares that last for like two to three months and they kind of ebb and flow. And then I've had other ones that are like one week and then it's like nothing ever happened. Right now I'm in a, I don't know, I would say like a stage five flare.
0: And you mentioned isolation a few times. How do you navigate that? and decide how and when you share with friends what it is that you're going through or have been through. Oh, it sucks. So I, at first,
1: definitely, like, I never felt weird about saying I have Crohn's because I think a lot of people also don't fully understand what it is. Like, they might know, like, oh, my friend has that. Or it's like, oh, that's the Ashkenazi thing. Or, oh, that's the thing where you, like, shit your pants. (laughs) You know, it's like, no, not quite. But now I've found that the more that you talk about it, you definitely are able to receive more sympathy. So there's like a level of understanding about what is happening. And also it's like, if it inconveniences you, well, I can't really do anything about that. So it just is what it is. I also think that it's kind of fun to remove the stigma around Crohn's disease for the idea that it should be correlated with shame. Because I don't think the disease itself carries an idea of shame. But like, nobody wants to be known as the girl that like, poops and farts and like you know is this kind of person but at the same time for me it's like you have to find humor in it it's like you get to have the shit disease you know <laughs> like there's this comedian that was like shit is the hardest word for anyone that's not english to understand you be the shit a shit you know like all that kind of stuff but like yeah you have to kind of poke fun at what is going on even though sometimes you're like there's nothing funny about this disease and i'm really lucky that you know I haven't needed a surgery yet, knock on wood. I haven't had like a bowel resection or anything like that. But I mean, it's kind of sometimes really difficult because I'm like almost there in a certain context with the amount of pain that you're in or the limitations that you're having. But yeah.
0: You told me that you haven't been really public and talking about your health story so much, but you did post on Instagram after having a colonoscopy. Why did you do that?
1: I did that at that point in time because I think that was my reaction to being like okay you want to know what I just went through the most traumatic series of events of you know having the person that's been in my life for over nine years I don't even know who this person is I've lost this person this person is you know just lied to me repeatedly slash I'm now really really alone with this situation and I felt like a combination of yeah I'm sure I was like reaching out for something somewhere. And I also felt like enough in a way, like, I don't feel like there's a reason to like, try to come up with some cockamamie reason as to like, why I don't feel good, especially because I was so depressed, especially from losing the baby. And it was only like later that, you know, you really realize what was you know, given up in a way not that I even really had a choice, so to speak. But like, you know, if the circumstances would have been different, I might have been taken a very different course. And so you're just dealing with all of those different things. And it just I started to feel like everything was out of my control. And I didn't want to feel like a victim to my circumstance. So I just figured I'm gonna like, let everybody know what's going on in my little tiny sphere for people that may not have a clue of the fact that like, I'm in a ton of pain. And you know, why not? Like, I think most people on this planet are actually compassionate and will, like, be there. And then what came of it, too, is like, I got an extraordinary amount of people messaging me, too, who were, like, I had no idea that this is what you were going through. And, you know, a lot of people also told me, like, oh, by the way, this is what I'm going through. And then you're, like, ah oh, yeah, I like this. This is cool. <laughs> I'm not totally alone in I this. I have someone to text on the toilet now. no <laughs> no. But no, like, I mean, like, overall, like, my close friends, my family, they're awesome. But it really kind of coincided with the depression that was coming with the life happenings and the physicality of what was really happening and just, like, so much loss. So I figured if I put something out, maybe somebody else will gain or maybe I'll be able to gain something from somebody else.
0: Yeah. And so you mentioned stress. How do you manage stress? other than taking a dance class once a month, if you can get to it?
1: Well, I definitely still continue to see a therapist because I love having my brain shrunk. I also have just started taking up surfing, which is super fun. And what else do I do? I play guitar, I sing, I love producing events, I love, you know, reading, kind of all the basic stuff. I definitely take out a lot of my aggression Riding my bicycle like a bike messenger around the city, that's always a good one. And uh, sailing is always great, too.
0: Love that. Yeah. And so before we started recording, you were talking about how you've been in your job for many years. Twelve. How have you <laughs> Twelve years, to be yeah. exact. How have you navigated your health and all these ups and downs while managing a full-time job? So I've been really lucky
1: where my boss has been pretty compassionate to understanding that, like, sometimes... I cannot work normal hours. And if I'm able to work between the hours of 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., like, I'm going to do it. The trust is there. And, you know, being there for 12 years has definitely, like, worked to my advantage for my situation. So that's great. Also, you know, it's always kind of like Jamie might be in the bathroom a lot during the day. And it is what happens. And that's just it. Especially because I don't tour as much as I used to. It's way more manageable in that sense. And like, you know, I'm really lucky. It's not like I work the floor of like a retail position or I'm not like a construction worker or something to where there's a huge level of physicality that's coming with my job. I can tell you like when I was in remission, I felt like my normal self. But for the most part, like I've been really lucky and everybody that I work with is like awesome and everybody knows there. So
0: That's huge that it's not a secret and it's not something that you sound like you have shame around as it relates to the workplace. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of people that go into jobs being like, should I be telling my boss that I have this condition? And how are they going to respond? I mean, what if there's another candidate that doesn't have this condition, and maybe they're better suited for this job?
1: You know, that was one of the things that my dad said to me, he's like, are you sure that you want to do this, this podcast? even though I wish you good fortune. He's like, are you sure that you want to do this? Because what if you put this out there and then it comes back to haunt you or it's limited? And I was just like, you know, I was talking uh, with my coworker, Jeff, today, actually. And I was like, ugh, I can't live my life this way. I'm like, it's not authentic to me. And also you know what, if a future employer or anybody else hears this and they're like, well, she has Crohn's disease, I'm not going to fit with you because I have Crohn's disease. (laughs) Like I can't do anything about it. And so, you know, whatever. It kind of feels like, you know, that scene with Eminem where he's just like, oh, you're going to try to like throw everything at me? Well, I'm going to tell you every horrific thing that I'm going through. Mic drop. It's kind of like that. It's like, you know, there's nothing to lose. This is you. Yeah.
0: This is you and you can't change that. So tell us a little bit more about the work that you do, because it's a pretty cool job that you have.
1: So the John Lennon Educational Tour Bus, it's a nonprofit mobile recording studio. So I would say a typical day would be around six to eight students, they come on the bus, we introduce them to the concept of who is John Lennon, why is John Lennon? And a lot of times these students haven't really worked together before, or they kind of like to sort of know each other in school. And we will start with some icebreakers. And then we start to collectively come up with the concept of writing an original song from scratch. And then once we get from that start point, they will get the chance to record the original song that they collectively wrote with the three onboard engineers that actually live on the bus nearly year round. So now they're recording in this multi-million dollar studio on wheels. And then there's also, oh yeah, Curveball, we're going to also make a music video to coincide with this recording. So now the kids are also like thinking about how they visually want to tell the story of what they're doing. And then, oh, this interests you? You want to be the person behind the camera? Great. Here's a camera. We're going to put it in your hands. We're going to teach you how to use it. Oh, you're interested in editing? We're going to show you how to do this to basically carve these ways for a career path development. So they have this new open-eyed way of like, oh, wait, I don't have to just be the celebrity to be a part of this process. But yeah, so then at the end of the day, um, if it's not a music video, it might be a documentary film project. And right now, we've been really kind of amping up and gearing towards a lot of being a megaphone for student activism.
0: So, so cool. I love that. So how do kids get to enroll in this program?
1: We have a bus request form on the website on lennonbus.org or uh, usually it comes through like teachers, principals, or our sponsors and partners will be like, oh, here's where we're going to go. I'm not sure when this podcast is coming out, but the Lennon bus will be here from the middle of September to the middle of October. So
0: love that. So what do you want people to know that do not have Crohn's and don't know enough about Crohn's?
1: There's so many different diseases. I mean, I don't know what makes Crohn's the most special. I think it's really in the same space as just somebody with the sister component with something like this is maybe depression of, you know, it's really easy to not know what to say or what to do or be like, well, they'll come back around when they're better. And I think that just actually making a continued effort to let the person know that you're thinking about them really speaks volumes. Because yeah, like, I think most people with any kind of disease or condition that you don't really fully understand or know, like, we understand that you have no idea what we're going through. But like being thought of, and like asking how we're doing is really, really nice. And it makes you feel like you're not alone. And yeah, putting in that extra effort where like, if you don't hear something back or whatever, it not being like, well, I texted her last, or I was the one who left the last voicemail. It's like, no, if you really care about this person, like, Pound on their door a little bit harder. Do something to, like, make this person laugh or just even, like, tell a stupid story. Please be able to tell a story.
0: That's all. I'm with you. I think those are such valuable tips, huge ones. But it's really true because I think about the times when, like, I've been in a bad state and my friends will check in and if I'm not really up for responding, like, keep checking in on me. Like, I want to be reminded that you care and you're thinking of me Because I'm sort of in a bad place right now. So it's huge.
1: Yeah. And just also, you know, if you find out that, you know, I'm going to invite you to go do this event or that event, it's like, and that's not what's going to work out. There are just still so many other ways that you can stay connected to the people that you really care about, even if they are in a limited point in their life.
0: Thank you for your willingness to share on this platform, because I know it's the first time you're sort of exposing all of this. I really appreciate you doing it here. Where can people connect with you and learn more about the Lennon Bus?
1: Well, the Lennon Bus, you can find out more at LennonBus.org. And for me, I'm just Jamie Walden, but it's spelled like Jaime, J-A-I-M-E, if you want to like say hi. On Instagram.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure. Just come find me. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes. We can't do any of this without your support. Visit madevisiblepodcast.com, follow Made Visible Podcast on Instagram, and join our new online community, facebook.com slash Community special thanks to the team who made this possible. Elise Bonebright, the audio editor, Gemma Leghorn, the assistant producer, Dylan Chenfeld for the intro music, and Amanda Gracio for the design.